0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Hara. Week two is coming in hot. We are days away from the second weekend of the college football season. We're going to break down all the headliner matchups. I say headliner loosely. Not a ton of great matchups in the SEC uh, this week. We also have a very awesome interview with With Luke Del Rio. I think Luke Del Rio is our new best friend in the world. I think he just took Peter Burns' place as our new best friend. I think it happened.
1: So, Luke Del Rio, fiance from Oregon, spent Christmas in the same blank, crappy town that I just spent uh, vacation on. And, uh... Went to Bama, yeah, we're basically best friends.
0: Yeah, there are beard game is strong. There are him. a lot of things about Luke Del Rio that I don't think a lot that I don't think the, the average college football fan or even the average Florida fan really realizes. He has been through a, a ton in his career. We will get to that later before we get to all of that stuff for week two. Gotta talk to you guys about our friends at Ticket City. SDS is excited to partner again with Ticket City for all of their ticket needs. Our relationship goes way back with them uh they're still a leader in the ticket space especially for college football fans as you and i know getting tickets for college football games couldn't be easier when using ticket city they have the best prices all you got to do use promo code c m b f 10 that's c m 10 and you're going to get 10% off of your tickets right now, whether it's for this Saturday, week two action, or for any time this college football season, get your tickets now on Ticket City. Hot ticket in the Southeast this weekend, maybe um, maybe the best game that we've had in the first, first couple weeks here, just with, with conference play and all that stuff. Uh, just in terms of like an SEC SEC matchup, is Georgia South Carolina? We've been talking about it all off season. You're giving me a it's, weird it's look. it's gonna be I, the
1: best conference game so far. <laughs> it's the only conference game. So I was far. gonna say
0: best conference game of September, and then I stopped myself because I'm like, I don't know. I haven't. I don't know the schedule off the top of my head to be able to make a claim like that. So I I went yeah. cowardly and just said first couple
1: weeks. We you did your best. It's fine. I mean, it's it's a, it's a big matchup. It's the biggest SEC conference matchup of the weekend in September that's in a leap year, also, it, it's a prime number, right? Is that
0: a thing? That That is 100% true. So before we dig into to South Carolina and whether or not the Gamecocks actually have a chance in this one, sorry, I messed up last week, or Monday, whatever it is. I called Coastal Carolina an FCS team. I might have done it on like two or three different SDS platforms,
1: I thought I did that. I apologize to Yeah,
0: I think we're all guilty of it. They just switched over to SBS to FBS a couple years ago. So, sorry South Carolina people who were upset that we were downgrading their opponent last week. Needless to say, I don't care.
1: No, no, they were a great opponent. <laughs> they were, I mean, out of all the teams with a mascot from the Canterbury Tales, they were the toughest team in week 1 in the SEC at South Carolina prime number, but We are getting Roasted. We're getting
0: super super specific here. Um, So, yes, that is a a Connor boo-boo. I made that mistake. But South Carolina is back in the AP Top 25 for the first time since since September of 2014. That was also the last time that South Carolina beat Georgia. So,
1: And who was ranked number 25 last week? uh, LSU was ranked 25 last week. That's right. Boom.
0: Basically, if you're ranked number 25, you are in shape for a big Top 10 upset. Okay, I don't necessarily think that, but... South Carolina um, is obviously jacked up for this one. The atmosphere at Williams-Brice is going to be fantastic. All the hype, all the buildup for this game. Debo Samuel had a really interesting comment this week. Oh, man. Um, Debo Samuel apparently doesn't know who DeAndre Baker is. DeAndre Baker, as you might know, preseason All-American cornerback for Georgia. He's kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, he is. And and Debo, (laughs) when being interviewed, they said... The question
0: was, uh, what are your impressions of DeAndre what are your impressions?
1: Baker? Right. He said, who? Oh, okay. And, the guy you've supposedly been watching on film all week. And
0: uh, Debo said, I ain't really watched much film of him. There's no way for me to say that and not sound really. Yeah, ignorant. it was so it was white. So There's no way for me to not say that like a total Yankee. So I apologize to Debo. That is not how he sounds. But the point remains that Debo Samuel, I get that you're banged you've been banged up for a lot of these big time matchups Debo's really only he yeah, didn't know he's only really faced two elite defenses during his time at South Carolina I know that sounds weird considering this is his fifth year there he is a fifth year senior but he's never really faced a defense quite like this this Georgia team so right I I don't know if that's the smartest move in the world to make during the week but hey bulletin board material I mean, let's let's have it
1: it's it's different if it's somebody like the Dez Fitzpatrick thing for Louisville going up against Bama and how like they were gonna be better than all the Bama sec- Bama defensive backs. And then I think somebody from Arkansas State said the same thing. It's different when you're Debo Samuel, because Debo Samuel can actually back that up because he's one of the best receivers in the country. True. So true. I I think I mean, yeah, like my family living living in Columbia, I've heard about this game for months. This is this has been circling on the calendar for a long time. That and Beyonce mm-hmm. Probably the two biggest things that have come through Columbia since that damn Hootie and the Blowfish concert back there in 97. Uh, you remember that.
0: Shout out to our boy uh, Brad Crawford. Big Hootie guy. Big Hootie guy. Hootie loves him some Gamecocks. He is a big time yes. South Carolina fan. What this just shows me is that Debo is one of those people, and I'm you know, like this to a certain extent, when he would go on those preseason All-America lists that he would see, whether it's you know, Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, CBS, right. something like that, he would just do the uh, the, the Control-F and then search his name and then not see anybody else. <laughs> that is why he did not see DeAndre Baker. So I get it, Debo. You didn't know who he was. You're probably going to find out on Saturday, just saying.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, luckily, South Carolina's offense looked really good against that FBS, F-B-S. opponent B-S. they played. Um and you know he—they have a really good offense. Jake Bentley looked really strong. I have my my doubts about how this game is going to go for South Carolina. This has been like this in Mississippi State. South Carolina is the Mississippi State of the East. They've been the media darling and Cinderella and and preseason favorite to get on the hype train from the East. And I think a lot of people again have had this this game circle on their calendar as a potential upset. Are we getting into the picks? Are we just going over the we background? Can, we can we can hit
0: on that a little bit because it's such a big storyline with this, and it's been such a trendy offseason pick to have South Carolina beating Georgia just because right. beating Georgia – Georgia was so dominant last year that it's has already become boring to say, oh, yeah, Georgia's going to win the division. So to sound right. like you know a hipster SEC fan – you say that South Carolina is going to win this game or you're a South Carolina fan. To me, that is right. that is kind of the criteria for this. We can get into this right now because I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to keep it within two touchdowns. I think George is going to dominate the battle at the line of scrimmage. I think they are still heads and shoulders above South Carolina in that department. While South Carolina does have some playmakers on the outside and guys like Debo right. and we've talked about Brian Edwards and we think the offense is going to be better this year you got to remember, this game is still going to come down to the trenches. If Georgia can still impose its will at the line of scrimmage and still run the ball with DeAndre Swift, and we know that Jake Fromm is going to make good decisions, this is still a game that Georgia should win and should win relatively easily. Having said that, South Carolina is going to be playing with a different kind of juice in this one, and it wouldn't surprise me if they at least presented Georgia with a a decent fight early on. But I think Georgia ultimately runs away with this one and, and wins it relatively easily.
1: I mean, yeah, I would agree on on mostly all fronts. Like, that that is going to be an electric atmosphere. When Sandstorm comes on, like it does every weekday at 5 o'clock when I'm at my Zumba Mm -hmm. class, that place is going to be electric. That being said, I thought, we we talked about this on Monday, Jake Bentley looked very improved. The offense looked really good. The offense seems really balanced. They ran for about 260-something yards and threw for about 290. Really impressed with all that. Georgia is a different animal. Than what they're going to face. You're not going to run for over 260 yards and over six yards of carry against that defense. You're not, it's just not going to happen. And when they, it's you know the big thing that Saban's always done. And I'm sure that's exactly how Kirby Smart approaches defense. He's going to make you play left-handed. He's going to take away your strength and make you beat his defense, his team left-handed. I just I don't I don't see it. It'll be I think it'll be close. I think it'll be close because South Carolina is a good football team. I just, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's either going to be two touchdowns or I think Georgia's going to cover this. Here's
0: South Carolina's only chance in this game. This this up-tempo offense that we've been talking about for a very long time with Brian McClendon, this is still a relatively inexperienced Georgia defense. If they keep the tempo up and get this Georgia defense gas playing in a mid-afternoon game in Columbia, we know it's going to be hot. Hottest place on earth. (laughs) Hottest place on earth, as you say many, many times. There's that. And... If, if Jake Bentley attacks attacks the slot and you get Debo Samuel going and trying to attack those young right. linebackers that's interesting I, I okay so I'll, I'll be honest here I didn't watch the South Carolina game live last week but what I often do is what I will somebody will cut up like a half hour and you could or like yeah. you know you could watch the game in a half hour you could watch a court quarter, every quarterback's throw in eight minutes or something like that and I'll do that yeah. and I went back and I looked back at, uh, at Jake Bentley and all the throws that he was making. He was really comfortable in those first read going to the slot, and if Debo Samuel is there and able to bust a big play or two, that's right. a game changer. And I think if, if if Georgia comes into this thinking that they're going to be fine because they were fine against every team in the division last year, and they're they're not giving them the respect that they deserve because they don't they have not really seen playmakers on the outside, maybe like what South Carolina right. has in conference play, in just talking about that division. I think that that's. That's something that could throw a wrench in this whole thing. Having said that, it's still Kirby smart, and I still think he's going to be able to make the right
1: adjustments. I mean, it's, it's the best two teams, like what you said, like in terms of like a respect, it's the best two teams in the SEC in terms of conference record against the spread. Georgia went 8-2 and two last year against the SEC against the spread. South Carolina went 7-1. So it's, it's like an evenly matched. Like The 10 points seems like a lot. That seems like a lot of points. But it comes down for me, are they going to be able to score enough ways or get Debo open in space enough to have him create enough plays in the offense or on special teams because you're not going to just line up and beat right, Georgia right. without something going your way like are you going to win the turnover battle are you going to have a big momentum shift in in special teams anything like that I mean are they going to be off sides after blocking a punt I don't know whatever happens with Georgia but I mean I think watch for DeAndre Swift in space they threw Tim they threw, uh, out of the backfield, I think, only like, like four times last week, which is, you know, he only had eight carries. I think they're going to try to get him yep. in space and and get him moving, and then Elijah Holyfield between the tackles. I think Georgia wins. I think Jake Fromm is a good enough quarterback that you're going to see, you know, how much he's improved after his freshman year. I mean, that kid didn't turn the ball over last year.
0: I agree. I, I think he has proven himself in these big-time atmospheres. I know he had his struggles in that game at Jordan-Hare last year, but to me, this is still a game that Georgia should be able to to control the tempo. Speaking of Jake Fromm, do you think we see any of Justin Fields in this game? Do you think we see him come in early in this game if it's still if it's still close? What are the chances that we see the five-star freshman play in this one?
1: I think he definitely plays cuz he's I mean, he's just too much of a talent to keep on the bench. I but that's a good question. If it's close, which I think it will be cuz it seems like it always is, if it's close, do you put him in early? Especially on the road in an atmosphere like that, I would say no. I would say
0: no as well. I I don't think that he is going to play in this one in the first half. I think it's a very different story than last week, where you get right. off to that good start offensively. You're up three possessions, you know, against Austin P. You can have all day to score against them. I don't think we see Justin right. Fields unless this game is in hand in the fourth quarter and. Kirby just wants to be able to put him in late with a three-score lead, Some, something along those lines. But I think this is Jake Fromm's game, and I think this game serves as a reminder yeah. of just how good Jake Fromm is capable of being. And I think that we've talked all off-season about this quarterback battle and and whether or not Jake Fromm's going to be able to hold on to this guy, this job, and if he has high enough upside but I think this this serves as a reminder to Georgia fans that you got a pretty special one starting under center, and this this is someone who uh, you you rely on to win these big-time games, and I think that's the difference between he and Fields right now and making some of these decisions. So we will get to picks later. We're going to get to all that stuff. Kind of teased it a little bit, but let's talk about a different top three team nationally, and that's Clemson. Clemson is a team that SEC fans are very, very familiar with, and it usually, well, last year it worked out for Alabama, but Clemson is, you know, South Carolina fans know too. Loaded, still loaded this year, and very much loaded up front on that defensive line, as we've mentioned. They get to go into Kyle Field. College Game Day is going to be there. It is going to be an unbelievable atmosphere, the first big time game of the Jimbo Fisher Fisher era. And and it's funny because you heard Jimbo say this week he actually didn't know that Clemson was on the schedule when when he got the job. (laughs) The schedule was like, I had no idea.
1: I fully believe that.
0: I, do you believe that? Because I, I kind of don't.
1: Yeah, I really do. I don't think he would have taken it. Honestly, <laughs> I, I mean, because you know he's four and four career record against Clemson. He's lost his last three. I mean, and as a lot of people, I mean, like you watched Florida State on Monday night, just like I did. They were not a good football no. team. He, like, I mean, I think the the separation and the talent gap that happened in such a short amount of time in Tallahassee and in Clemson, it says a lot. Like, I think he's inherited a lot more talent. At A and M that people are giving them credit really? for. Okay. But yeah, but I mean that's you know, they they looked good last week. They played Ed O'Dron on North West Estate, the demon. <laughs> but I mean, this is totally this is a different animal. I mean, right now you have the number you have the leading running back or leading rusher in the entire country, Trayvon Williams. 240 yards a game. It's just it's night and day what he's gonna go up against this week. This
0: is one of those games where at Florida State, I don't know if Jimbo has to scheme the way that he does like he can pretty much just put his cards on the table and just trust that maybe his guys at the line of scrimmage will be able to hold up. I know Florida State had issues on the offensive line last year, but Yikes. my question is this: How creative can we see Jimbo get? Because we saw him play right. a lot of roll out, a lot of different looks with the offense. We saw him running out of the pistol, running out of the shotgun, running out of just straight up I formation. Utilizing tight end. Yeah, they had I formation on the first on the first play of the game. It was like, wait, wait, what? What is this? So Travion Williams, we we've talked about him being someone who can be relied on in this offense? Can right. he set the tempo and gash that Clemson defensive line? I don't know because I think that the Clemson defensive line has such an advantage at the line of scrimmage, but right. that's that's what Jimbo's going to try and do, and I think he's going to, in his perfect world, he has this be a Trayvon Williams game and not necessarily a Kellen Mond game because he doesn't want him having to, to face that kind of pressure uh, consistently with, yeah. with the way that they're going to be able to rush the passer.
1: Well, it's a lot like the South Carolina-Georgia thing where you know the offense looked great. Looked great last week against Northwestern State. He had over 500 yards rushing, which helped a lot of people forget that for the first 12 minutes in the Jimbo Fisher Fisher era, they didn't score a point. They had a couple of three and outs. It didn't look great. So, I mean, 500 yards rushing is is an incredible pat on the back. There you go, Jimbo. That, you're, there's no chance that's going to come anywhere close to that this weekend against that D-line. And, you know, I know they played Furman, but they had 12 tackles for a loss last week. Yeah,
0: that wasn't. that's not a fair matchup. I, Furman should yeah. have been able to just take that check and play a half, maybe, and then just kind of walk out there. That yeah. was not good for their long-term health. <laughs> and everyone gets ice cream after that. That's oh, it. gosh. Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins. Just battling those guys is, is not going to be fun for 60 minutes. So... We're we're gonna see all this stuff on Saturday morning where people are really sipping the Aggie Kool Aid and they're like, oh man, no, this yeah. is gonna be such a raucous atmosphere for Clemson. Here's a little not so fast from our good friend Lee Corso. Um, Clemson is sitting there as a team that obviously has a lot of experience, but here's the the stat that I keep coming back to with Dabo that makes it tough for me to see a And M staying in this one. Right. Dabo true road games last three years is four, oh, I love 14 this. and one. 14 and 1. The lone loss was Syracuse last year, and that was when Kelly Bryant, of course, was out of that game. So right. keep that in mind as you're sipping the Aggie Kool-Aid, telling yourself that, that Jimbo Fisher is gonna get this big time win and it's gonna launch this program to new heights. I I, I get getting excited for this one. Aggie fans are gonna want to make that atmosphere unbelievable, but that's the thing that's holding me back from saying, Yeah, home team, big time atmosphere. Why can't they pull off the upset? Dabo, right. Dabo, knows how to win on the road. He does things, you know, like playing they're blasting the Aggies wore him in practice. Apparently that was
2: being
1: hurt. They brought in every male student at Clemson every day at practice this <laughs> week, and they all joined arms and swayed back and forth the entire length of practice. And every night at midnight, he woke everyone up and they had to yell practice. They they would go outside and practice yelling. That's that's so, what I would I mean, Yeah, they're ready to go.
0: But we we do know that uh, Dabo says he's going to play both Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence in this one. A little bit of a different situation than Georgia, just because I think Kelly Bryant, while he was accomplished last year, just seeing what Jake Fromm really did down the stretch, I think kind of elevates him to have that security where you feel like he's going to be able to play most of that game, and it's going right. to be those are going to be his snaps. But different situation at Clemson. I think that we do see both of those quarterbacks. But this is still just, I mean, this is going to be a fun atmosphere. This is going to be a fun one to watch Saturday Saturday night. Kyle Field is going to be rocking electric. I look forward to it because considering what we went through last year with AM watching the end of the Kevin Sumlin era, it was really depressing. So I'm, I'm happy for Aggie fans that they get to see this kind of hype, this kind of buildup. Even if it does end yeah. with a, a disappointing loss, their dream shattered. Yeah, <laughs> let's just kidding, Aggie fans. Let's let's move on to a game that uh, I've been talking about for gosh, it seems like forever. Mississippi State, Kansas State. It is Nick Fitzgerald's debut in Joe Moorhead's system. We thought that he was going to be able to play last week, but as we found out, he was suspended for a violation of team rules. As a result, Keaton Thompson gets to throw for a billion touchdowns against Stephen F. Austin. Definitely an FCS team. Got that one right. Nailed it. <laughs> there you go. Um, one for two. But this this week is a is a different kind of test. Obviously, on the road, having to face this is I Joe Moore had said this on the SEC teleconference yesterday. This is Mississippi State's
1: first uh, Power Five road game and since 2008. Since 2008, ten years. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a really long time man I wish I was just on that teleconference because instead I did I have 30 pages of notes printed out for all the games this week I could just got it like straight from yeah, the source yeah. yeah it's their first power five road game since 2008 I mean Kansas State I, I'm I'm shocked that that the line is even this close and people think this is gonna be you think they're gonna lo- they're gonna win
0: yeah so that's been my bold prediction I I miss I, well I know we're gonna talk picks later but I do have Mississippi State losing this outright I know Connor you've been the biggest Mississippi state. Fan this entire offseason talking about how they're going to win 10 games, all that stuff. Right here's the thing that I brought, and I brought this up to Joe Moorhead in the SEC uh, teleconference yesterday. Sick brag. I know.
1: <laughs> I, how did that conversation go, Connor? We're just like, hey, Joe, hey, Con. what's up? How, man? You doing? how are you how doing? doing? <laughs> you didn't text me back last night. Yeah. What's up with that?
0: You ghosted me? <laughs> Joe Moorhead did not ghost me. In fact, he said that I had a great observation because another sick brag. I asked him about Trace McSorley's running struggles early on, that first right. month that he had at Penn State in 2016. Penn State was a two-and-two two team. Offensively, they were inconsistent. They were turning the ball over. They just did not have their flow. They looked like a team that was absolutely lost in that game against Michigan that they got blown out of. So I asked him about that and said, you know, why do you think it's going to be different with, with Nick Fitzgerald? Why is there not going to be this learning curve? And basically, the way that he said it was, after saying that was a great observation, he said, like, you know what? With Trace McSorley, we had to figure out what his strength was. This is a kid that many people were saying was never going to be a college Ed quarterback Vance. at Penn State. He was going to play safety at Vandy, and then James Franklin you know, ends up going to, to Penn State. And they were just trying to get a feel for what he was going to be good at, and they made it a priority to run the ball with him. Now, with Nick Fitzgerald, that's a totally different scenario because he is right. a run-first quarterback. But here's the thing that gives me pause. He's still coming off that ankle injury. This is something that... We have spent so much time dissecting and trying to figure out, is he going to be the same quarterback? We won't really know until we see this on Saturday. And yes, there are similarities between what he runs and what what, uh, Dan Mullen ran, obviously. But this is still a new system. This is still a road atmosphere. And he's going to test out that ankle and how much... How much is he really going to rely on Nick Fitzgerald in the running game? Because as we know, that's what really kind of gets him going, and gets that offense going. He's the focal point of that offense. Trace McSorley still had Saquon Barkley to hand the ball off to when he was running the ball. It's just a different right. scenario. So that was, it was interesting to kind of hear that perspective from, from Joe Moorhead.
1: Well, and that's, I mean, I think it's a really good question because, yeah, you want, like that's his strength is Nick Fitzgerald is a great running quarterback. Completion percentage not, not great. great. You know, I think Moorhead said earlier this year that like their goal, their benchmark is 65% completion percentage. He hasn't come anywhere close to that his entire nope. career. That being said, Kansas State, since last season, has had the second worst pass defense in the entire country, giving up 318 yards per game.
0: Second worst, really?
1: Second, yeah. They they teams that play Kansas State average th- or they average throw. I don't know what's wrong with me right now.
0: I like that. I like I like scrambled yeah, marler. This is good.
1: They, they averaged throwing the ball 41 times a game. Is that a right sentence? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, we'll count it. Yeah, there okay. you go. What's the word I couldn't pronounce last week? Um, what was the word? I can't remember. Um, Supposedly. Something like that. <laughs> regardless. Uh, regardless. No, I mean, Kansas State's defense is, I know, Kansas State's defense is pretty bad against the pass, and I know that's not exactly the strength of this offense or the strength of Nick Fitzgerald, but, I mean, my God. I mean, they, also, they almost lost to Saint, South, Dakota. South Dakota State. No, just South Dakota. Not even the good Dakota. Just South
0: Dakota. Not even South Dakota State. Not the Jackrabbits. Let's not, don't get it twisted. This is just South what? Dakota. I mean,
1: that's like the third best team in South Dakota? In, in the
0: Dakotas. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um. That's not they good. They rallied
0: from down two scores in the fourth quarter to come back and beat FCS South Dakota. So I'm sure Mississippi State fans right. are looking at that, thinking to themselves, dang, we got this in the bag. We're going to roll into Manhattan, the other Manhattan. And right. and pretty much just kick the doors off, and this is going to be Joe Moorhead, you know, throwing all over the place. I would, I'm still apprehensive to say that. I just, I, I've seen what the Joe Moorhead system does to a, a unit that has so much talent, like Penn State did in 2016, and that's what gives me pause right. to say that this is instantly going to take off. It's different when you're talking about playing against an FCS team, and I think that we are going to see. A learning curve on Saturday. I think Nick Fitzgerald is going to be trying to, to figure out his own way, and can he rely right. on his legs the way that he wants to? Will there be any sort of apprehension? So, are you you, you seem to be all in on, on going with Mississippi State in this one? I am.
1: Oh, it's not even in question. It's probably my pick of the week. Really? We'll get to it later. I'll I'll explain right. why. I'll look through all these all these notes over here from the trees I killed. <laughs> you but. have so many trees.
0: So <laughs> many trees. So many, many trees. Uh, let's move on to uh, Kentucky and Florida, a game that has been. So one-sided for so long that yes, it's still a headliner game because it's two SEC teams playing, and they are rivals. No, they're not considered rival. No. Or Kentucky might consider in Florida basketball. a rival, and Florida is like, no, let's
1: let's not pretend that that's a rivalry. Every year, it's it's like, it's it's one of the most one of my favorite delusions in all of sports. It's like that kid from Angels in the Outfield. is like, Dad, when are we gonna be a family again? It's like, I don't know when the Angels won the pennant. No. No, he's not coming back. Angels are not going to win the oh. pennant. Guys, probably not going to beat Florida. 31 years in a row.
0: Well, egg on your face, because, spoiler alert, the Angels won the pennant.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's and okay. Angels, you know angels existed. I didn't see the ending in the movie. And,
0: <laughs> and you know what? We did see that um, You know, Danny Glover did come back and be his dad, so it wasn't necessarily True. his family, but it was a It family. worked
1: out better. I'm just saying the delusion before that. Also, he made us believe that Matthew McConaughey was a good center fielder, which is just ridiculous. He
0: had some range. He could hunt down some fly balls, man. That is He's true. Yeah, that's true.
1: Would be really good. No, but I mean this this game every single year. I feel like somebody comes out and is like this is the year the streak ends. And I've said it since Monday. I've said it for a while. Their best chance was last it year. It was. Gosh, it was. It's not easy to go down in the swamp. I mean. it's it's obviously not been easy for them. You know, the last time they were down there, they had the same mindset going into it, like streak ends this year. They were down 45, nothing to start the game. Man, it's, it's one of those things that if you're a Kentucky fan, you've got to be
0: just thinking to yourself, what would happen if we won this game? What would it mean for our program? Just, (laughs) just the perspective of knowing that this game is early in the season, knowing that basketball and midnight madness is, is looming. We don't spend a ton of time breaking down like Kentucky's long-term prospects, but this is one of those fascinating things that if you actually saw a win against Florida, what it would do for the fan base, it, I think it would do tremendous things. It would do tremendous thing for Benny Snell, too, especially if he had a big game. But here's right. the thing. Kentucky, what we saw last week from the quarterback situation, yikes.
1: I mean, neighbor Terry Wilson. <sighs> neighbor- I, if Kentucky wins this game, I hope every single goal, goal post – in the state of Kentucky is torn down. Like, if just rush the field. I know it's not a home game, but rush Kroger Field, because that's the real name of that stadium. Tear those down. Move on to the high school, whatever's closest there. Tear those down. Every single goal post in the entire state should be torn down. How about
0: this? Let's also allow them, because there there are some diehard Kentucky fans. I know that. But yeah. let's just do this in something that's a little bit more suitable for Kentucky. Let's just have them cut down the nets too at whatever gym they want to oh, yeah, go to. Exactly. Just cut down any net that you want to. If you beat Florida, you have the right to do that. You you heard it here right. first
1: from the SDS podcast. We are giving you grab a f- bottle of Maker's Mark and just go find the closest thoroughbred. Jump on that thing. Start racing people. I mean, celebrate, guys. Celebrate. You've earned it.
0: The question that uh, we're, we're probably going to be asking going into this one more than any other besides the streak and whether or not it can reach 32 is, can Felipe Franks beat a Power 5 team? Look like a legitimate SEC starting <laughs> quarterback and actually just, yeah. you know what, look like someone who has improved under Dan Mullen. We saw last week what he get, did against Charleston Southern. Yeah, that's...
1: Heisman frontrunner, Felipe Franks. <laughs>
0: I am not on board the Felipe Franks hype train that was taking off a little bit, or at least at the station last week. But last year, the numbers against Power 5 teams were just so bad. 55% completion pass. Uh, 55% completions. Seven See, it's tough, pass.
1: man. It's tough. it's tough.
0: saying words. Uh, 6.5 yards per attempt. This this is not someone who, quite frankly, has looked like he has been up for the challenge. And, yeah, last year he's able to go into Kentucky and you know he threw a touchdown pass. He threw to, wasn't it? He threw to a wide open receiver when Kentucky.
1: They forgot to cover the receiver. He just sat out. Th- and you know who the receiver was? It was Tyree Cleveland. Oh. The week yeah. after they played Tennessee, like the one person on the field that you probably want to cover. Nope.
0: Shout out to our boy Luke Del Rio by the way, who was big time in that game as well. Did he? Yeah. Have, did right. Luke Del Rio have a touchdown pass to an open receiver in that game too? My memory is.
1: Uh, I believe he so. He probably did. But he. Yeah. We didn't. He's seven one in his eight games to play as a getter quarterback.
0: <laughs> as we little, little peel behind the As eye. we uh, brought up with our interview with Luke Del Rio. So why don't we why don't we go to that right now? Um, he talked about a bunch of different things. For those of you who don't know the background of Luke Del Rio, son of course of Jack Del Rio, former Florida and Luke Del Rio being a former Florida quarterback in the McAwyen era. Being there at Alabama in 2013, he had some fascinating stories for us. Uh, If you're not a Florida fan, I promise you, you will still get a kick out of this. Trust me. I apologize though, because he was in New York City, so yeah, you might hear some noise because there's not a single quiet place in New York City. So. There's so
1: many taxis, man, that place never sleeps there, man. Big city, Big (laughs) Apple. Woo! I've been
0: there. Without further ado, here is our interview with Luke Del Rio. We're excited to be joined by a very special guest. You know him, it is former Florida quarterback and current podcaster, Luke Del Rio. You can hear him on the Dropback, which is now available on iTunes. Uh, You can catch it live at 6 p.m. Eastern time, that's three days a week. Follow him on Twitter, Uh, you can see him on YouTube. He he is everywhere, he is in New York City right now, so if you hear some, some, uh, some background noise, that is why. Uh, Luke, let's let's start right there. Um, you're you're kind of stepping on our toes by doing a podcast that's related to SEC football. So we'll we'll send you the, the cease and desist, cease and desist your way. Expect that in the mail. Uh, tell us uh, how and why you started the drop back.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, kind of a random thing that I bumped into. Everybody was always asking me, you know, you're going to get into coaching, right? Once you get done playing, and I, I never really had the desire to because I grew up. Obviously, my dad was coaching. Um, he's been a head coach and, and a defensive coordinator and a position coach in the NFL. Uh, he also played in the NFL. So I, I grew up with that kind of environment, and I, I know what you're getting. You know, a lot of people get into coaching and they don't know what they are getting. Um, I had a very good idea of it. So after getting my master's from Florida when I got done playing last year and deciding I didn't want to play another year, I moved up to New York City because of all the opportunities up here. And I wanted to get into the financial industry. You know, my master's is in business, and I wanted to see if I could apply it. Um, Pretty much just to challenge myself. I wanted to see if I could do something outside of being a jock. And I felt like going straight into sports media would have been kind of an easy way out. Um, So as I started this kind of quote-unquote regular job, you know, nine-to-five corporate job, I realized there was kind of something missing. You know, I was... I was missing talking ball. I I realized whenever I talked to a family member or a friend about football, I really enjoyed it and I kind of lit up. So I said, I wonder if I go live, if people really care, like if they'll watch, if they'll engage, or if nobody really cares. So I I did it as kind of a test run and a lot of people liked it. It was getting a couple thousand views. And then I obviously broke the story about coach Mack and that got like 60,000 views. So I was like, all right, let's, Let's make this a thing. Let's make this a regular thing that I go live three to five times a week. Um, and, I, and I've loved doing it. Gave it a name that I thought nobody else had, and it applies because I'm a quarterback or I was a quarterback. So the drop back is, is what I started. I'm loving doing it. Obviously, there's a lot of competition out there, but you know, I think my experience and my background kind of separates me from, from everybody else.
0: Well, let's talk about your your career and your background, because it's fascinating. And I don't even think the average college football fan knows just how fascinating it is. Uh, I mean, you walk on at Alabama in 2013, then you transfer to Oregon State, you spend the final year of the Mike Riley era there, and then you get to see all three years of of the McIlwain era and what that ultimately became. Let's start with the beginning, though, at Alabama. You don't have the Bama bangs, yet you walked on at Alabama. Tell us what it's like to be a walk on at Nick Saban's program.
2: Yeah, so I had offers coming out of high school. I was committed to Oklahoma State. That's when they were number three in the country with Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman, and um, I had an offer from UCLA. If I had taken the visit after Alabama, they said, we were going to offer you. Uh, I ended up not taking the visit because I told Alabama I was going to go there. I was going to walk on. Um, Oregon State was an offer. But I I wanted to see, and this is kind of another – another instance of me trying to push myself and get uncomfortable because I think the most growth happens when you push yourself into where you don't really want to go, but you know, you probably should go. Um, so I said, Alabama was the best team in the country. I think they have the best coach in the country and they're obviously doing something right. I want to see if I can go play at that level because I wasn't going to play college football. If I only had division three, division two offers, I was going to walk on. Then if that didn't work out, I was going to stop playing. Because my thing has always been either do something at the highest level to the best of your ability or don't do it at all. I've always been kind of a leap-before-I-look person. Um, And it served me well. So I walked on. I was seventh on the depth chart. So five, six, seventh. And by the end of spring ball, I was third. Or I'm sorry, I was fourth. By the end of fall camp, I was second. So I was A.J. McCarron's backing up my true freshman year. Everybody says, well, why did not you play? Well, I was registering. They, they weren't going to put me in uh, as a you know mop up duty to burn my red shirt, but they told me in these big games if AJ gets hurt, we'll give Blake series Blake Sims a series, but you're going to be the one playing. So uh, people don't really realize that that I was kind of that high on the depth chart. Season ends, coach not leaves, same coach not for coach me Florida, and Lane, Lane Kiffin comes in, and. Lane Kiffin and my dad, and really my family as a whole, have a have a bad history. Um, several things. I don't want to get into it, but I, I don't have a lot of respect for the guy. And uh, I knew we weren't going to get along. Like as soon as he got there, I was like, okay, I'm probably going to have to leave. They didn't put me on scholarship after I was the backup the whole year, and that was that was an easy decision. Like okay, you're you're clearly not valuing the work that I put in, and the results that I've shown. So I'm going to go somewhere where they appreciate me. And that's how I landed at Oregon State.
0: So circling back, though, I mean, you do get to spend a year at Alabama and you do get to spend this time with Saban and sort of get a peek into what makes him tick and what what really defines him. Do you have a, a Saban story that maybe people don't know that kind of sticks out with you?
2: Oh, I have a lot of really good saving stories. Um, I think, I think the, the biggest thing that separates him, and it's not hard. Like Everybody thinks that there's this secret formula or they're they're paying players or, like I'm telling you this, they're not doing anything that every other program isn't doing. I'll put it that way. Um, but what he does is he has a superhuman level of discipline. And he does not tolerate anybody that doesn't adhere to that level of discipline. If you're a coach or a player, you will not be there if you are not as disciplined as him. So the way he puts it is you need to do things the right way when they're supposed to be done, even if you don't want to do them because it's the right thing to do. And you need to not do the things that you want to do, but you know, you shouldn't be doing it. It's really simple, right? Just, pretty much do what you don't want to do but the right thing but it's really hard especially with 18 to 22 year olds and the way that he is so consistent with that and he has a plan every single day of the year and i mean every day by christmas i'm sure he calls some recruits thanksgiving i know he does and he goes to the white house he calls recruits there's no days off for him this is what he does and that level of commitment is just rare and i don't i, I think it's uh it's asking so much from one person, but, but he's bought in, and obviously the results have, have
1: shown the work that he's put in. Luke, I always just kind of assumed it was his hair. <laughs> um, the the follow, following up on that, though, um, the 2013 team, I'm as a Bama fan, emotionally probably still not over the kick six. Was there as much dissension on the team – as was later reported after that nightmarish incident in Auburn. We don't have to talk about that. Just, you know, the team as a whole.
2: Um, No, I I wouldn't say dissension. You know, that has kind of a a darker connotation to it, like there was kind of this uprising. Uh, Not at all. It was that team. Everybody says, oh, it's championship or bust. I've never seen a team so pissed off and uneager to play in the Sugar Bowl, ever. I mean, if you told, told Florida fans, hey, we're, we're going to the Sugar Bowl, and you told Florida players we're going to the Sugar Bowl, they would say, hell yes, let's go. That's an amazing season. We lost to Auburn, and that team would have beaten the brakes off of FSU. Just look at the roster, look who we played, look who they played. We would have beaten the brakes off of them. Auburn had three or four fluky plays at home, that was a really good team that they had. Nick Marshall for his two touchdown passes with linemen five yards down the field. Five yards down the field. You're caught. my new favorite interview. So, I mean, look, they, they, I'm not, they, yes, they won. But they, they had to return a field goal, 100 yards. And the, the usual holder, Vinny Sinceri, who plays safety, I guarantee would have tackled him, was hurt that game. So they had a lot going their way. And they almost beat FSU. They had a lead and, and gave it up. But uh, as far as the game goes, no, everybody was sad, pissed off. It was the quietest I've ever heard a locker room. And it was really like, okay, we didn't do it. Like, we kind of just wanted the season to be over with. We didn't want to play Oklahoma. They were fired up to play. Like, look, this is like a, a down year for us. And Oklahoma was like, we can't believe you made it to the Sugar Bowl. So um, it's just, just kind of a, a difference in programs and where we were at that point.
0: You, uh, so let me, let me kind of put, put a little bit of a perspective thing on your on your career. So you leave Alabama after that 2013 season. You talk about the Kiffin stuff, and you go up to Oregon State, which, I mean, that, Alabama to Oregon State, the difference between those two places is obviously significant, and also the difference between Nick Saban and Mike Riley. And you get the last year of the Mike Riley era. Tell me how drastic that was, that difference, and how big of a maybe a culture shock that was for you to head up to Corvallis.
2: Oh, completely. Com- complete culture shock. Um, think about all the different levels, okay? You have Nick Saban, obviously yells a lot, fiery. Mike Riley never curses, never raises his voice, um, has been there forever. Had a contract in, like, 2022. Ended up leaving, which was, like, you know, a, a huge surprise to everybody. We got a attacked at 7 a.m., and then we had a uh, team meeting at, like, 7.30. It was-, it was so strange the way it went down. I'm moving from the south, where I've pretty much lived the majority of my life, to the Pacific Northwest, which is a god-awful place outside of two yep. months of the year. They always say, oh, we have, we have great summers. Like, last time I checked, summers is pretty <laughs> phenomenal everywhere in the United States. So, like, what are you bragging about? Um, like, it rains there for 10 months of the year. Why do you live there? Anyway, my, my fiancé is from the Pacific Northwest, so I can, I can say that stuff. What? Um, so, yeah, yeah, I met my, my future wife up there. So, you know, I have no regrets going there. But also the offenses were different. You know, that Oregon State offense was the most complex offense that I have ever been a part of myself. Obviously, NFL, you can't really even compare the two just because of the amount of time that you have and you can commit to learning a playbook and digesting it. But it was very difficult. Really, really well thought out, really, um, you know, well developed. But we just didn't have the, the players or the talent. And you go from being the best and having the best recruits and the best nutrition programs and the best strength coach and the best assistant coaches to kind of uh, the bottom of the barrel Pac-12 team. You know, like they just – I bet on Ohio State last week to cover a 39-point spread against Oregon State. And I was like, if there's one thing that you can count on right now, it's Oregon State is going to lose by more than the spread says they're going to. So um, – I don't know. They they used to get lucky with some recruits. They got Brandon Cooks and Marcus Wheaton at the same time with the NFL quarterback, Sean Manning, and they won nine games, and that was huge. But they just – look, in-state, I'd rather go to Oregon. If I'm a really good recruit, I'm going to USC, you know, or Washington or Stanford. So they just don't really have a niche, and it's hard to to get the players. But uh, I love being able to experience life up there, very different. Um, Glad I got to do it. Do not want to go back.
1: Luke, uh, my fiance is also from Oregon and went to Oregon State, so I definitely feel you. Because the only thing fun to do in that entire state is take naps. That's about it. Um, right, right. It's so, like, well, what
2: is there to so, do? Well, you want to drink? Sure. So,
1: yeah, everything just looks like the Goonies. The entire the entire landscape. Um, kind of circling back to the, that 2013 Bama game because I'm definitely not going to talk about Oregon State. Uh, that was one of the deepest backfields. And one of the most talented group of running backs, I think, in the history of like of Alabama football, you had Yeldon, Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara, uh, people like Alti Tenpenny, D. Hart, Kenyon Drake. Out of that group, at, during your time there, who was the who was the best in your opinion?
2: Well, TJ was the most experienced. Um, he had the he was the most mature. He had the, the best grasp of the playbook. He he was kind of the best football player at the time. Um, Of the freshman running backs that I came in with, there was four of them. It was Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, Alty Tenpenny, and uh, Tyron Jones. Right. And Derrick was by far the biggest and the the most recruited, but it was not close who was the best football player. Alvin Kamara was the best football player, and everybody saw it. He butted heads with the coaches, and you go from being a stud uh, running back in high school, and this is something that big recruits always struggle with, is you go from being the man to third string. Right. It's hard. You know, that's a guy that's used to touching the ball 30 to 40 times a game. You might get to play this year, you know, play on special teams and prove that you can play, which is the right way to do it. But that's a, that's a serious reality check. So, uh, Kenyon Drake was actually known as like a speed guy, you know, returner, uh, outside zone. He was kind of the relief, but, um, Alvin Kamara looked like he had the most potential, but Derek was so big it was like right. people are going to get tired of tackling that. I, I guarantee you, fourth quarter it's like, oh my god, I have six foot three, two hundred forty five pounds leaning on me every play. This is miserable. But he wasn't very skilled. Right. His moves weren't very developed because he was so much bigger and stronger and faster than everybody in high school that he didn't need them. You know, he didn't have to break out a spin move or You know, he always had a stiff arm, but he never had to hurdle or lower his pads. He could just run. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where they were at the time. But it was a phenomenal group and probably the best running back group you're going to find for a long time.
1: Right.
0: Luke, uh, you end up going to Florida. You end up walking on there after, you know, Riley leaves Oregon State. And, you know you end up walking on there to those are what i mean third third program walking on at T- tell us give us the cell here because you've talked about this before you talk about how you were a mac guy and i know that your dad had coached you know the jaguars so you had kind of familiarity with with the area and all that stuff but just how did Mac sell you on the, the vision that he had to be able to come to Florida? We love talking about all things Mac. So for us, this is we're, we're like nerding out hearing you say this, but give us a little, a little peek behind the onion, as we like to say, as to how Mac got you to walk on at Florida.
2: Well, two things. One, I had a scholarship from, scholarship often from Oregon State High School. They kept that for second year of college. So I was on scholarship there. When I walked on at Florida, I had to convince Mac to let me come on because, I mean, look at who I was. It was two years, two transfers. It's like, you know, what am I not seeing here? Has he really gotten these bad breaks or is he not a good kid or is he not a good player? So I've known Coach Mac since I was in 10th grade when I went to the Alabama football camp, still hardest football camp I ever went to. I mean, they they beat the hell out of you to kind of figure out who you are as a person. And it's, it's the best way to do it, I think. Um, and I was like, look, coach, I'll, I'll be a good teammate. I'll be the scouting quarterback, all of that. Obviously, I'm going to try to appeal and, and see if I can play this year, but I understand if I can't. Um, I just want to be close to home because I, I kind of had this notion in my head, I still want to play, but if I don't get to play, because clearly I haven't gotten to play yet, I played some mop-up duty in Oregon State, but I wanted to start. Um, if I don't get to play, will I be happy at this college? And it's so close to Jacksonville where I where I grew up, quote-unquote, grew up,
1: um,
2: that I I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable with the school. I felt comfortable going there. Probably wouldn't have been able to get into Florida without football. But, um, yeah, so I I walked on. And, I mean, I could see the talent that I saw at Alabama, but I just saw such a lack of discipline, such a lack of consistency. You know, you would have these, these freak show talents, you know, playing their ass off for two games, and then they would disappear for four. It's like, what? You know, whereas Alabama, their whole mantra is around discipline and consistency. So, uh, and the depth that they have. It's like, look, if you're not consistent, we will just bench you. And the guy behind you is a five-star too. So, um, yeah, those are kind of the differences in, in how I ended up there.
1: I mean, you were, look, you were, Florida was 7-1 and in your eight career games as a Gator. So, in your opinion, were you the most prolific quarterback in Florida football history? <laughs> there we go.
2: Well, I, my win percentage might be. Um, yeah, I think he have 10 wins to count now. But I don't know anybody that had 7-1. and one. I think Tebow lost, how many games did he lose? Five or
1: six? Um, he lost well, well, let's, uh, at least four in 2007. No, let's add it up, Connor.
0: Will Grew, though. What about Will Grew? He starts off, what, 6-0? and 0, Yeah, And
2: then that's doesn't true. play a
0: game again. So I mean, I hate to say it, but so we'll, you might have to we'll beat.
1: Fly, Will's playing first, yeah. Way to go, Connor. But
0: still, sorry, sorry, That's I did. You know about. what? That was. We'll we'll cut that part. I, I I shouldn't have said that. Luke Del Rio, on record, all-time winningest <laughs> quarterback in Florida history. Let's let's leave it at that. Um, your go. your rant your rant about and pulling scholarships went viral. That was what you said, sort of launched the drop back and what it has become. Uh, We definitely had a ton of people reading that story, too. So thank you for that. Um, You call yourself a Mac guy, despite knowing that, despite seeing that the way that it all played out last year, did that that whole 2017 season, did that was that a surprise within that locker room or was this like a long time coming? Just the way that everything unfolded, how quickly the fan base turned on him, how how quickly it seemed like the program fell apart. Were there little cracks in the foundation, or was this something where it was like out of nowhere and all of a sudden a, a tsunami hit?
2: Well, one thing that I've learned, you know, with my dad being a coach, my dad being fired and promoted and all of that, I've gotten a very, very solid understanding of winning covers up everything. If you're winning, nobody really cares what you do. We're looking at you, Ohio State. Nobody really cares what you do if you keep playing. So once you start losing, you you better be buttoned up and everything else. You better have your ducks in a row. There better not be any skeletons in the closet because we're going to expose you once you stop doing your job. So uh, I knew we were not going to be a good team. We were young, and I was like, we could overachieve and win, like, eight games. And – you know, winning ten games and then nine games—it's like, look, we're just—we're just not very talented this year. And when we played Tennessee, and we had to win on a hail mary against a bad Tennessee team, I was like, we might not make a bowl game. And some of my teammates were like, "Are you kidding me?" I'm like, "Look who we just played—they were terrible," and we had to throw a seventy-yard hail mary to beat them. So. I could, I could see that the administration was kind of getting fed up with him, but I, I tell you what, he was fed up with them way, be, way before they were fed up with him. He's obviously been at Alabama where, look, what do, you, what do you need? It's yours right now. Florida takes a well-rounded approach. We want to be good at every sport, which they are. They win national champion, championships in pretty much every sport. Um, whereas Alabama, what good teams do they have? They have football, who's dominant. And then they'll have, like, a okay, okay, everything else. You know, like, they they put all their chips into football. And, look, it's worse. That's the moneymaker. That's, you know, obviously the state's sports. And Saban is the most powerful person in that state. So, uh, just a a complete disagreement and lack of cohesion between Mac and the administration. I saw it coming, and I was not surprised when they fired him midseason. I think that's the worst strategy when they said, we just want to go ahead and move on. It's like, okay, you could have just told them that this is your last season like they did Muschamp. And because once you fire a coach season the, the team is gone. The team does not care. They don't want to play anymore. I can tell you as soon as Mack was fired, it was like, I cannot wait for this season to end. Like, I just – everybody wants a reset button. But if you – you know, when you fire a midseason, everybody hits the reset button. You still got to play four or five games. So, I, I just – you know, love Florida, but I really disagree with the way that they've handled a lot of things, and that's
1: one of them. Luke, I'll have you know that uh, Bama had a pretty damn good women's basketball team in the early to late 90s, so I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um, All though, right. uh, All right. We've given you a ton of softball questions here, a lot of just easy stuff for you to give Coach speak and beat around the bush, and you obviously meant your words a lot. So I'm going to give you, you know, some actual like real hard-hitting journalism here. Uh this was actually submitted on Instagram. Uh Better Bar Scene Gainesville or Tuscaloosa. I'm obviously not going to include Corvallis cuz that's a joke.
2: No, Corvallis is house party it's a joke and when they say it's the best here it's like you clearly have not been to another city. I'm sorry. Um I'm so glad I have this animal for my say, fiance now. I got to be I got to be a little more wild when I was in Tuscaloosa cuz I was you know younger, didn't have a girlfriend at the time and was red-shirting. I'll tell you what, red-shirting is when you get a lot of the crazy out. So I probably it's a dream, had yeah. More fun more fun at Tuscaloosa, but there's, there's more to do in Gainesville. Right, All right,
0: fair, fair enough. enough. I like that. I like that. Okay, so we got to ask, if we had you on and didn't ask this question, we would be – we we'd be idiots. Um, you have actually asked McElwain about the shark stuff. You were the brave soul. Yeah. You said, yeah, I, I, you know, I saw in the drop back. You, you were willing to to kind of poke the bear with that, even though you knew it was a sensitive subject. Tell us what that conversation was like, like, and paint the best picture possible because this is basically my favorite subject in the history of college football.
1: Yeah, and use vivid verbs.
2: Yeah. So the the photo came out and. I know Wilton who who's the quarterback from Michigan, and he actually sent it to me. He was like, "I can't believe your coach is doing this. Oh my god!" And I'm like, "Okay, hold on. One, that really does look like him. Two, I gotta ask him because that looks way too real." So he was like pissed about it, and I, I feel like the the, the angrier you get at something, the more validity you give it. You know, if you if you accuse somebody of something and they get really pissed off, it's like, oh. Are you hiding something? So I asked him, and he was, I think he was just sick of answering about it. Like, hey, what what is this? He said, it's Photoshop. Do you think I'm that fat? Because he wasn't. His belly was not that fat. <laughs> I was like, no, that's true. That's true. I was like, you know, I mean, that's like a boiler right there. You're not, you're not that fat. You're not that fat. And oh my God, it sounds like me. But, but did, you know, did you is this you? He's like, no, it's not me, not me. I like fishing, but he's more of like a Montana fly fishing type guy than like a deep sea shark fishing.
1: So I need to Photoshop him with a rainbow trout. Yes, yes.
2: That
1: at least has a Uh, little more,
2: you know, a little more uh, sales aspect to it.
1: That's fair. Um, so... Like we said earlier, you said your fiancé is from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Hopefully, you do not have to get married there. I've already talked my way out of it. So, this has been a recurring theme. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. That's tough. (laughs) It'll probably be beautiful. Do it in the summer, man. It's the best
2: month. Yeah, it's in the summer. I said it has to be in the summer. So,
1: (laughs) So it's in the Um, summer.
2: It's in Central Oregon. It's going to be awesome.
1: Nice. Yeah, I just came back from Manzanita, and it was a blast. So, um no, what, give me your best excuse. To... I was there for Christmas. Oh, nice. Give, give me your best excuse to get out of a fall wedding. Uh. Well,
2: Well. where is it? Because if it's in the Pacific Northwest, you can just say, hey, it's going to be raining. Uh, or right, you a... say, it's football season. I have to do my job. We can't do it then. Like. Um, but if, if those don't work, I think you're out of luck.
1: It's not the answer I was looking for, Luke. <laughs> Sorry,
2: truth hurts sometimes.
1: I know. Uh, Luke, so
0: what people might forget—and um, correct me if I'm wrong here—but you played on the same high school team as Christian McCaffrey for a year. Um, that experience and your the, the year that you got to spend with him uh, when you know your dad got the job with the Broncos. Uh, tell us, you know, what that was like watching Christian McCaffrey kind of blossom into this the superstar. Did you think he was going to be that good?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's the best player I ever played with. Um, he's up there with like Callaway as far as talent goes. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew he was going to be unbelievable. I didn't know he wasn't very big, but he's bulked up a ton. He was like 5'10, 5'11. He was like 190 pounds back then. Maybe, maybe 200 if he's, you know, soaking wet. Um, but I was always getting in trouble for not carrying out my fakes after I'd hand the ball off. And they're like, why do you keep not carrying out your fakes?" I'm like, I want to watch. He's going to score. I want to see how he scores. <laughs> so, he had, he had half of my, uh, half the touchdowns I threw my senior year. I'm threw 28. But we ran the ball a lot and we were, we were killing people. So I wasn't in for very long. He had 14. So um, he's a he's a tremendous player. I wanted to see him at Stanford. How they would use him? Was he going to be a scat back, or was he eventually going to become the guy? Because you play at Stanford, you got to run between the tackles. You got to be able to take the pounding. And he his freshman year to his sophomore year, he bulked up so much. Where I was like, he's yeah, that that body can handle the touches that they want to give him. And I think David Shaw told him, look, if you don't bulk up, we can't make you the guy. So. Uh, kudos to him. I drafted him in one of my fantasy football leagues. Um, hope he does well. But uh, great guy, great family. His brother Dylan, I think, should have should have stayed in the game against Notre Dame. He plays quarterback for Michigan, but that's a that's a different story.
0: Interesting. Shea Patterson. Wow, going off the top rope, man. Former Ole Miss quarterback can't yeah. even play a whole game at Michigan.
2: Well, my thing is, he cramped up. Like you went from playing in Mississippi, which is like the most humid state in America to so playing in Indiana. Sorry, that's New York for you. To so playing in southern Indiana, and you're, and you're cramping up for an entire half. Like, I don't get that. Were you not ready? Were you – was it the anxiety, the pressure? Um, I don't get it. I don't get it.
0: Fair enough. We got uh, – we we want to get you out in a little bit. You've been so gracious with your time. We've got uh, – We've got a little family feud for you. Um, now, this is nothing to do with like Family Feud, the game show. Um, they have not come at us with the the trademark, uh, so that's that's good on our part. But we're gonna, its more of a rapid fire question type thing that Marler's got for you. So uh, Marler's gonna shoot a, a bunch of questions at you here.
1: Okay. All right. We got, so we have ten questions. Uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and warn you: there's no right answer. But just rapid fire, first thing that comes to, uh, comes to your mind. I basically just invented this game just to get in Connor's head, and it's been very enjoyable. So, um, I got 10 questions. Uh, we have 20 seconds on a fake clock. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, and here we go. First question, most fun thing to do in Oregon? Oh, God, is there anything? Um, fishing, fly fishing. Uh, wrong, leave. Uh, Second question, favorite bar in Tuscaloosa?
2: Favorite bar? Uh, Yeah. Gillette.
1: Ah, Very good answer. I was going to say Taco Casa because they follow me on Instagram. I have to mention it. Third question, describe the swamp in one word. Loud. Fourth question, which SEC coach is most likely to have an affair with a hammerhead shark?
2: (laughs) Um, who's the, who's the old Miss coach? Luke something.
1: Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, five. Hottest Disney princess.
2: Uh, ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go Jasmine.
1: Yes, that's, that is correct. Uh, basically Kim Kardashian. Anyway, sixth question. Uh, better New York Christmas movie, Elf or Home Alone 2? Elf. That that is incorrect. Next question. If you were a character in the office, who would you be? Um Jim. Nice. Uh next question, Florida's biggest rival. Right now I would say FSU. Ooh, I was gonna say water guns and Tay Bang. Uh best rivalry in the SEC. Ooh.
2: Best rivalry, probably Florida, Georgia. But the
1: biggest one right now for Florida is Florida uh, FSU. That is also incorrect. It is LSU fans versus their liver. Last question. Best beard in the SEC.
2: Best beard. Best beard. You definitely have somebody in mind. Um God, I have no
1: idea. It was Luke Del Rio. Come on, man. No, but I
2: didn't I didn't have the the, the growth. I mean, if I really let it go, it can get out there. But I, I, I kind of had it reduced to stubble last year.
1: I mean, I said you were the most prolific quarterback in Florida history, and you the best beer. I'm trying to – I can only build you up so much, man.
2: I know. I know. I know. It's all downhill from here.
0: Luke, we will, uh, you're going to learn these things. Uh, these are softballs. We're going to give them to you as much as possible. You're going to get a bunch of these. Don't worry about it. You'll get used to knocking them out of the park. You're going to have to answer more and more questions like this on, on the <laughs> dropback. So just, just be ready for it. You'll be fine.
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. Well, Luke, we, we really, really appreciate your time so much. Make sure uh, you're checking out the Dropback. It is on iTunes. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. It's at LDelRio12. Really, really awesome stuff, Luke. We're definitely going to have to do this again sometime. Maybe after Dan Mullen wins a national championship in the year
2: what exactly? Oh, not this year, next year. And I know that's going to piss off Florida fans, but sorry, not this year, next year. All right,
0: Florida, 2019 National Championship. Uh, we'll get the flake. We'll get the fake Jimbo Fisher plaque ready uh, right now. Luke, really appreciate it, man.
2: Thank you, guys. Had a great time.
0: We really appreciate Luke coming on. That was some awesome, awesome stuff. We we absolutely need to have him back in like the next week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I he mean, was world class. Fiance, fiance from Oregon, bet on Ohio State last week. Uh, agreed with everything I always thought about that 2013 Bama team. We're basically best friends. He just doesn't know it.
0: I have not seen you two in the same or together in the same room, so I'm I mean, not like, convinced that you're not the same person. So, As a
1: couple people know that, like, I've mentioned before, like, I was also a college athlete, played college baseball, so it's like... Wow, sick brag. I know, right, dude? Thanks.
0: Let's talk about some Week 2 games Maybe a sleeper week in the SEC. We like to say sleeper week pretty much in any week that doesn't have a bunch of monster headliner Match-ups. showdowns. But um, yeah, not, not a ton of... What are you laughing at?
1: Monster headliner showdowns with that, with yeah, that just, kind of excitement.
0: I just came up with three different words to say the same thing. Uh, not redundant at all. But let's, let's get into it because uh, we do actually have some lines because believe it or not, not every SEC team is playing against an FCS squad.
1: Guys, welcome in to week 2 with Uncle Chris. Now listen, we make a lot of jokes about humble brags, sick brags, my incredible athletic career, all that stuff. Something I'm not going to joke around about and I'm definitely going to brag on. Uncle Chris went 17 and 3 for the season. I'm sorry, he went 15 and 3 last weekend. For the,
0: for the week, for the week, not the yeah. season.
1: 15 and 3 for the week. I got a little bit greedy. Put some money on Florida State, put some money mm. on Michigan. Hey. Those two and in, in Kentucky are the only ones I missed. Fifteen what and about, three last weekend. Whoa, what about Texas? Okay, that's that's different. That was for the playoffs. We're not gonna talk about the playoffs, okay? We're talking about week to week, Connor. Process. Anyway. So, of course, I won a lot of money with our friends at mybookie.com. Because, like I say every week, guys, it's not just who you're betting on, it's who you're betting with, and that is why I'm always on MyBookie.com. It is M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com. Make sure you're using the promo code SDS and they will match your initial deposit. I've had a great week. I've been killing it. I've been really looking forward to week two. Um, I know last week and the week before I kind of brought up the fact that this is the best time to start gambling in general because Vegas books, Vegas sports books have not had a winning September against college football bettors since 1988. Do you want to know the stat of the week now, Connor, for week two? Hit me. Thanks to the guys at MyBookie.com. That is, in the past 10 years, did you know that ranked teams who open the season at a neutral site game, Alabama, Auburn, the following week, their home game, they are only 24-47-1 and against the spread. Ooh. 34% against the spread the following week. I call it a get-back game. I feel like Saban does it on purpose a lot, just to make the team not get a big head, not get overconfident. So, there's your fact of the week. Week two, following a neutral site game, ranked teams are only covering 34% of the time. That being said, let's get into the games, Connor. You had a rough week last week.
0: I did. How rough was it?
1: Uh, You were four and four straight up. Oh. Yeah, that's real bad. No, I'm sorry. You were five and three straight up, four and four against the spread.
0: Oh, okay. Right. Yeah,
1: that's fine. I can live with that.
0: Yeah. I've been far
1: worse. I was I was six and two on here. I didn't bet on Washington, so my actual bets that I placed money on, that that was the fifteen and three. However, we are getting into week two. We're gonna start with Mississippi State at Kansas State. That is a twelve o'clock kickoff, eleven AM Central Time. Mississippi State is currently a nine point favorite. What you got?
0: I've said it all along. I think Kansas Kansas State wins this game outright, and I think it's a reflection of how difficult it is to be in Nick Fitzgerald's shoes coming off of the injury, given the, the fact that this is his first game in a new, new system.
1: Manhattan, baby. Manhattan. Literally in his shoes because the whole ankle thing. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Okay, it's you good. know what? Here's why you're wrong, Connor. Uh, we've already brought up some of the stats and how bad Kansas State is on defense. They barely beat the not-good Dakota, first off. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than that, last week they had 256 yards rushing on offense on 47 carries pretty good over five yards a carry did you know that over half the carries and half the yards came from their quarterbacks in a dual threat system i wonder where mississippi state's seen that before never every day in practice oh mississippi state is going to destroy kansas state i don't see it being close i know it's their first true road game against a power five team in a decade which is pathetic but i i don't see it being close at all
0: Here's what I will say: If Mississippi State wins this game, my 10-win mark is ahead of schedule because I did have this as a loss. So, 11 oh, wins. Mississippi State, just, if they oh win this, care. no, oh, this. absolutely not.
1: <laughs> All right, Move, moving on to the next game. You have another 12 o'clock start in Smashville. Vanderbilt is playing Nevada. Vandy is an eight-point favorite currently on my bookie. What you got?
0: Real quick, Nevada,
1: Nevada. It doesn't Which matter. All right.
0: Potato. No. There, there are people who would say Oregon, and it's like no, that's that's not More it. More like Oregon. Boragon. Boom. Yeah. Uh Give me, give me Vandy. I think Kyle Shermer has a bigger game than he did last week. Uh, I think that Charles Wright and the Vandy defense shouldn't have any problem shutting down the the Wolf Pack.
1: Oh, you Wolfpack, don't right? You don't think they'll have any problem shutting down a team that put up 71 points and 636 yards of offense last week? You don't think they'll have yeah. a problem doing that?
0: Yeah, against little sisters of the poor.
1: That was Portland State. It's- fine university. They're great at basketball. Anyway, uh, I this one's tough for me because Nevada, um, they have lost their last six road games straight up uh, by an average of 19.5 points. Also lost 11 of their past 12 overall on the road. They're not very good on the road. They do have a very good offense. Vandy did not look great in the first half last week. Kyle Schumer had 28 yards passing at the half. Hey. Yeah. So I'm going to say Nevada covers the eight points i don't like it really i well and yeah there's a reason why they they had 82 percent of sharp money was put on nevada last week to cover 28 point spread and they did i think they'll be able to cover the eight i don't know i don't feel good about it i'm not gonna probably put money on that this weekend i would definitely tease this game down little little trick of the trade there all right third game it's a big one uga at south carolina currently uga is a 10 point favorite
0: Give me the dogs. Giving the dogs we'll win by a couple touchdowns. Love the love what we're going to see from the atmosphere at South Carolina. Williams Bryce is going to be rocking. Looking forward to seeing Debo Samuel in that offense. But give
1: me the Dogs. Yeah, I mean, that 10 points is a lot. Uh, I'll tell you the real play here, guys. I'm going to take Georgia to cover. Um, against my better judgment. So sorry to all Carolina fans. I hope my family doesn't disown me. But the real play here, guys, is the under at 57. Let me tell you why. The under is 9-2 in the last 11 Georgia-South Carolina games in williams Bryce. The under is 14-4 in Carolina's last 18 games overall. And the under is 10-1 in Georgia's last 11 games in September. Jump all over the under at 57 points. We're firing on all cylinders here, all right? We are. Up next, Bama, Arkansas State, the Mighty Red Wolves, Bama is a 36-point favorite.
0: So I heard what you said about ranked teams coming right. off of these neutral side openers and not being ready to go in we You said it two. very eloquently. Here's what I will say. I think Saban has that group ready to go after they struggled with discipline issues, with penalties. That was not a clean performance by no. the Saban standard, and I think that he has them ready to go. I think they end up they don't come out sleepy at all I think they get a 21 point lead in the first quarter I think we see a whole lot of Jalen Hurts in this one as well Tua comes comes out ready to go and this is a dominant dominant Bama victory after uh, what was considered a a sloppy performance by Satan
1: see I would I agree with it and I also disagree with it and here's why I've always called this the second game of the year for Bama a, a get back game and I really think that Get back like that. No, not like the ludicrous song. That was bad. Oh, um, okay. You don't there. know me like that anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, I, for whatever reason, this always seems to happen the like following a big win in the week opener. I honestly think it's just saban trying to like bring the team back down to earth, not get overconfident, and they have a big game next week against Ole Miss. So I could see it going either way. 36 points is a lot. Um, Fun fact for you, Saban is 10-1 against the spread in his uh, 11 openers while the coach, while being the coach at Alabama. He's 1-4 the past five years in Week 2. So I'm going to take Arkansas State to cover, mainly because they had 497 yards passing last game. I think they're going to put up a decent amount of yards, maybe get a backdoor cover late. Plus, their quarterback's name is Justice Hanson, which is, like, pretty badass. Oh,
0: crap, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, All it's
1: right. like if, like, one of the Hanson brothers, like, took creatine. That's exactly who it would be. <laughs> So Dude, long black hair, too. Yeah, exactly. All right, so I've got Arkansas State covering that. Uh, up next, the 7 o'clock kick from College Station, Clemson, AM. and So I wanted to bring this up to you, since you've been so spot on all year with your predictions. You said on Shut Monday. Up. That, that was that the, not nice. That was <laughs> the, not nice at all. You said on Monday that the uh, line that opened at 12 and a half would definitely move back in favor of the Aggies. Do you know what the line is currently? 12 and a half. 12 and a half is the same <laughs> exact line. So yeah, Clemson, twelve and a half point favorite at A&M. What you got?
0: I'm taking Clemson, just because. And let's okay. I will say this line can move after game day. Don't don't yeah. forget we got, we still got a lot of time left where that line can can shift yeah, back. That's why over. I hate
1: putting off these Wednesday articles like with my I picks.
0: Still, I'm gonna take Clemson. And co- I would take Clemson and cover twelve, thirteen. I think they win this game by by three touchdowns. Battle the line of scrimmage. Still favors Clemson too much. Not a game that Jimbo's team is ready to win unless they somehow... So, okay, no, I, I don't even want to say that. I don't even want to say that. We're just going to say Clemson's going to cover.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. I think it'll be somewhat close. Um, the over-under is 54, so you're talking about around a 31-17 to type game, 34-17 to type game. I, I like Clemson. I think they're too strong up front. Um, yeah. But, you know, a has won 29 straight games. At home against non-conference opponents, uh,
0: they've never seen a non-conference opponent at home. like Completely
1: agree. So. I got Clemson covering as well. Um, all right, this one's a, a little tricky here. Missouri versus Wyoming. It's actually a home game for Missouri. They are currently an 18 and a half point favorite.
0: So I'm not going to go all Michael Bratton who predicted the the full on upset to to, to to have Wyoming go into go into Mizzou and, and win that game outright. Shout-out to Michael. Very bold pick. Not going to go quite that far, yeah, but I will heart. say I will say, Wyoming is going to cover in this one. And I say that just because Derek Dooley offense is still unproven. You beat a team like UT Martin last, last week. All right, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot. I do think that this is a game where Drew Locke should still have some success, but... I have questions as to whether or not they'll be able to put up fifty some odd points. Right. This is still Craig Bowl. This is still a Wyoming team that has had some success, and I know not necessarily to the level of you know big time Group of Five power. But right. I do think that they keep it under three scores in this one, and you know Mizzou wins, but not you know necessarily a you know a forty point game or anything like that right. that we've seen in the past from them.
1: So this one's tricky for me too because I didn't know this beforehand. Luckily, Michael Braden pointed out. There are a 100% chance of rainstorms uh, or thunderstorms and up to 15 mile an hour winds, like predicted for for kickoff this weekend. So the line actually, the over under opened at 57 and has dropped five points, which is a crazy swing a down lot. to 52. So you're talking about an 18 and a half point favorite, 52 points for the over under. That's like a 35 17 type deal. It just got written all over it. I. The great thing about my bookie, I'll say again, you can buy up to three points either way, which is exactly what I'm going to end up doing, is buying it down to 16.5. So I'm going to take Missouri to cover. Um, I think they're too strong, mainly because of the fact that Wyoming, I understand it's going to be rainy. I understand the fact that Missouri's offense is a pass-happy offense. But Wyoming only put up 204 yards of offense last week against Mike Leach in Washington State. Not exactly known for their, their defense. So I'm You're going to like take this too.
0: You're going to take Mizzou. Okay. You know what I miss is watching those videos from like the 1990s where we would see everybody because everybody had AstroTurf and when it poured oh, and yeah. you'd see puddles on the field. This this would be the perfect type of game for that, but we're not going to be able to see that. Yeah, it's that, makes that me...
1: concrete layer right under like that, that very thin carpet AstroTurf.
0: It's, it's too bad. How dare we get smart about playing surfaces? <laughs> yeah, right. Give me the puddles.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's just the most Connor quote ever. Give me the puddles. Um, all right, so we have two more here. Arkansas is a 14-point favorite on the road at Colorado State. Oh, man, they've been so bad. Colorado so State bad. has
0: been terrible. Yeah. Terrible. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip-flop. Early, early on, I would have said that Colorado State is should be able to cover a 14-point spread, but... Uh, give me give me some tie story in that offense be able to put up some points on yeah. the road against a Colorado State team that's just been horrendous to start the season
1: I, I mean yeah I'm, I'm in the same boat early early on I had Colorado State to cover um they're off to an 0-2 start it does seem like it's a little bit inflated you know this is obviously the first road game under Chad Morris Arkansas was one in six straight up in their last seven road games but you know that's under Belama. here's what I'll say Colorado State's defense is giving up an average of 606 yards per game right now, and I'm they're all that is not good. They are also allowing get this, a 78 percent completion percentage. Yeah, that's almost impossible. That's almost that's impossible. That's almost yeah. impossible. Um, and you look at the quarterbacks last week for Arkansas, Ty Story. Uh, what's what's our boy's name? Cole. Cole Kelly. Yeah. Cole Kelly. Um, they. I think they, they're told they were 21 to 29 with 72 percent. I think they're going to be the difference um, against just a putrid SAT word, Colorado State defense.
0: Could a team like Arkansas complete
1: at least 78% of its passes if it was going against no air. defense at all? I, yeah I, yeah No, they didn't have a completed pass in the first first quarter of their spring game. but like how bad is your defense? That's I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, let's get on to the, uh, <clears throat> the game of the week. The streak. The streak. The streak in the swamp. Kentucky is a 14-point underdog to the mighty Florida Gators. What do you got?
0: I think Kentucky actually keeps this relatively close. I've gone back and forth in this one. I kind of tend to think this is one of those, like, 24-17 type games where we sort of pump the brakes on the Florida offense taking off. Yeah. I do think that Kentucky is going to cover this game. I think they get, I, I don't think they get much from the quarterback position. It's one of those where you hand the ball off to Benny Snell and you just hope that he can create and bust one loose. But uh, this is still a game that Florida should be able to lead throughout the entire time. But I'll take Kentucky 14 points.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to do the same. I, I was, it's interesting because I, I bring up the sharp money a lot because I think that's like where most of the smart action is in Vegas. And 61% of the total bets from sharp from sharp money is on florida but 78 percent of the total money from sharp bettors is on kentucky so what it comes out for me is i was real high on florida at first 14 points does seem like a lot i mean kentucky they didn't cover last week they won by 15 they were sloppy they had four turnovers here's what i'll say florida gave up 225 yards of total offense or on um, yeah total offense last week to charleston southern do you know how any of that was rush, uh, rushing yards a lot 222 yeah they gave up three yards passing total on nine completed passes i don't even know how it's possible that is tough to do yeah almost yeah exactly so i think benny snell gets his yards this this game has been within six points in three of the past four years i i think it, it's a lot closer um and obviously this is like a big big game for kentucky and they've had it circle on their calendar for a while so i'm gonna take kentucky to cover but florida to win I would agree with that. All the people who say that uh, we hate Florida
0: probably just, oh, how could, how dare you say that? The right. Kentucky can say that. All right, let's let's pump the brakes. I'll eat crow if Kentucky is just blown out by Florida, but let's. I won't let's eat let's crow chill. that sounds disgusting. Yeah, crow is pretty gross. Yeah. Anyway, let us move on to our favorite new segment. It's time for some fourth and wrong. We got some interesting ones this week.
1: Yeah, uh, you guys never seem to let us down. On this this is one of my favorite segments now. Probably my favorite segment. So we asked you to send in your best questions that are non-football related. Uh, we chose three up first from L Swamp on Twitter. All right, Mr. Chase Williams. He said, "Do you think it's okay to bring Bush lattes to a work outing that includes a cornhole tournament? I mean, I need a counterweight, and I need one. I need a counterweight, and two. It says latte right on the can, so it's work appropriate, right?" I
0: would think so. I mean, if if you're if you're drinking Bush Light on a typical day, like with, with your friends, you want to be friends with your coworkers or at least make it look like that. So I would tend to think that Bush Light is an acceptable thing to – or Bush Latte
1: is an acceptable Bush thing. Bush Latte. This, I is why why this is why actually I, I wanted to bring this question up. He's from Iowa. And I was like, what is a Bush Latte? So apparently that's what they've been calling it as like a joke for years. Iowa consumes more Bush Light than any other state in the country. That's an actual fact. You know how much they consume a year? Two billion. 16 million gallons. I was close. Yeah. Um, yeah, last year when Iowa State went to Memphis for the Independence Bowl, one of my favorite uh, sentences and stats ever was, the Iowa State fans drank all the Bush Light available at Jerry the King Lawler's Barbecue Restaurant in Memphis. It was like, what is that? <laughs> Just let me go through those layers. That's an incredible sentence. Um, yeah, That's. I, yeah, definitely bring the, the Bush Latte. As long as it's not a pumpkin spice latte, yeah I'm you're fine good. with that yeah, okay. That's, that's totally fine. Your second question, uh, this is from Travis Wheeler on Instagram. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in someone else's home So when
0: you're an adult, there are certain things that you realize you probably shouldn't have in, in your living room. Yeah there are just certain things that you're like, yeah you know what They should have just stopped this, this I, I, I'm an adult now I'm not in college anymore. I saw like this full-on like massive shark as the centerpiece of this of one of our one of our, our friends' living room. And it just hangs over the TV. And it's like the entire room is just drawn to this massive fish that's, that's hanging over. And it's I think it's maybe it's a marlin, but it, it's huge. And it takes <laughs> up the entire room. And you're just like, this is serious. This isn't like a joke thing. You actually have this up. It doesn't even talk. <laughs> um, it's just not like a big maybe- mouth billy bass. Yeah, maybe it's maybe that's just a Yankee take from my part, but like seeing that fish take over that room, that was uh that was one of those where you just kinda of scratch your head leaving the place. You're like, Okay, they uh they could use a decorator.
1: I my answer I went Ear Muffet fiance, I in college I went to a girl's house um late one night and she had not one, but two pogo sticks.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, and I was like, but what's that for for her friend exercise i'm sorry what why do you need two for I, I, it's it was mind-blowing it was mind-blowing i went home
0: yeah that's yeah. that's a sign that you should probably get out while you can somebody also, should not have two pogo sticks no, that's
1: i mean let alone one if you're over the age of 11 that makes no sense uh also shout out to michael d ward who's, who submitted i saw a stuffed squirrel with a shot glass in one hand and a cigarette in the other Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Good for you, man. All right. Arkansas sounds nice. You do you. Um, And then last but not least, this is from DC Carter 2010 on Twitter. David Carter, what is the best restaurant or bar to grab a drink in Columbia, South Carolina? And I just now realized that I don't think you've been there, so I wish I didn't bring this up. I <laughs> haven't been there. Dang this it. is
0: all you. This is all you. I'll get there soon, though. I will.
1: Yes. Um. So I would say, uh, I told David Carter earlier, the answer is definitely not... Um, getting two call-a-cabs at Wet Willie's to start your night, because I've made that mistake before, I would say I'm going to go Liberty in the Vista. And also... No way! No. <laughs> and right next to it is a lovely, lovely motorcycle bar called the Wild Hair Saloon, which had a dollar beer special every single night. Because I remember I went in there one time and they said, Dollar Beer's Michelob. And I was like, oh, like McUltra? And they're like, no, Michelob. And I was like, oh, gosh. How many cigarettes do you have to smoke a day to be drinking that? I don't know. Yeah, so I got that's Liberty liberty in the uh, Liberty Taproom in the Vista. Dollar beer is dollar beer. I mean, that's, that is true. It's yeah. not going to twist it. I didn't have standards in I don't have them now, so it's fine.
0: Yeah, it's true. Let's wrap things up with an it might mean too much. This I got from uh, some, multiple people pointed me in the direction of this tweet. It was fantastic. Uh, in case you did not see, the Alabama fan who went viral because on Friday, uh, his name's Daniel Haneo, by the way, Um, went to work wearing the Jalen Hurts jersey but second half of the day decided you know what it's time it's time for the Tua jersey so he took a picture of this he had uh, Jalen Hurts uh, on the left side and the the Tua jersey on the right side he actually you know got the the jerseys off a website in Japan so he's got the last names on there like they're they're knockoffs but Um, yeah, so he, he had basically been doing this to, uh, to troll Georgia fans because he works in Atlanta and wanted to just do one more thing to kind of remind them of, of second and 26. And the funny thing is, so his favorite player at Alabama is Jalen Hurts. He absolutely loves Jalen Hurts. This has been a little bit bittersweet. He understands that Tua is the guy and he needs to be playing moving forward, but he bought the Jalen Hurts Jersey the week after he played in that game against USC in the 2016 opener. So, obviously, big-time Jalen Hurts fan. Yeah. He went to the national championship game in Atlanta. The very next day, while he's tired at work and he has no energy to do anything, what does he do? He hops online and he buys a Tua a jersey. <laughs> if that doesn't epitomize this whole situation, I don't know what does. So, beautiful, uh, awesome, awesome stuff. It might mean too much. That is so, so perfect. By the way, they got uh, – he and his wife – Got a got a a little kitten, and of course they named it. Uh, they had to name the first one Bryant because right. obviously. Yeah, of course. And then uh, at the the shelter, they're like, "Oh, hey, do you want second kitten?" And they're like, "Oh, absolutely, let's no, do it." It's because it's, it's the brother of the kitten, of and um, of course they had to name it Denny. So That's they nice. have kittens named Bryant. My
1: first dog yeah. was named Barker after Jay Barker, and I told him that last year at Media Days, and that was the end of our conversation. That I'm sure he's he heard was many, very uncomfortable many times. <laughs>
0: Uh, please continue to send us those five-star reviews. We've got a couple to get to real quick here. Uh, I've got one from Lindsey Lou. Ooh? I don't know. <laughs> so the subject line is just three football emojis. Um, so this is clears, clears throat, taps mic, and this is on quotes. It's finally college football season. That's in all caps, Brady Hoke. Uh, Let us all <laughs> rejoice and give Thanks. I came to SDS's Facebook for the memes. Now I'm watching their Facebook Live videos. Shout out you. uh, And listening to this fantastic podcast, I don't have much time to watch ESPN for updates and their articles are often dry. SDS has a personal and often humorous flair to their media that I love. Keep up the good work, SDS. It's going to be a rough season as a Vols fan, but I'm counting on y'all to help me uh, to help me laugh my way through it while pointing out the good
1: and bad. That's a great review. It was. It's a fantastic review. Uh, go. I've got one from MillerTime615, which means that's somebody in Nashville that loves Miller Lite. <laughs> As a fan of an SEC team, you can't beat the guys at STS. Awesome content and even better guys.
0: Oh, wow. They are going out on a limb. I yeah, love that. You don't,
1: you don't know me well, but, you yeah. that's what. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate it, guys. We really do.
0: Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. Please continue sending those in. Uh, Watch the Facebook Live. That's Monday night and every Saturday morning, 17 and 3. Yeah, 17 and 3. That is the record you were taking in, 9.30. Watch those on Saturday mornings. It's basically Money in the Bank from Uncle Chris. Show me what you drank. That's yeah, the reference that. that's it, way Chris. past me. No, actually, I actually understood that. Um, follow us on Instagram at Saturday down South. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at S D S at CJ O'Gara. Week two is here. Absolutely, absolutely jacked up for it. Not going to be going anywhere this week. A little bit different for me, but however, I am, However,
1: little peek. Do <laughs> so we want to say? No, yeah, we'll we, save it. No, we Let's save it. save it. We're going to save it. I'm not. Okay, go ahead. If you're in Oxford, me and Connor will be there next weekend. So, right. for the Bama Ole this game, we will see you then.
0: It's going to be fun. Yeah. But until then, remember, the most important thing. Y'all, it might, it definitely mean too much. Ed Orton voice every single time, forever.
1: Forever.
0: All right, thanks, thanks guys. guys.